What does the church look like to a non-believer today? A church that is segregated by denominations, a church that is uh, divided. It seems like there's a church on every corner. What does that look like? How do people who don't know Jesus feel about that kind of church? We're going to learn about this in the letter of the church, or a letter of Jesus to the church of Sardis in Revelation three today. This is Pastor Greg, and this is Life sixty six. Glad you've joined us today. We are now in the fifth letter of Jesus to the seven churches, moving into chapter three of the book of Revelation, and we come to the church at Sardis in verse one to verse six. Let me read the passage for you: the first six verses of chapter three of the Revelation. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know it, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This church in Sardis was 50 miles due east of Smyrna, the the second church we studied, and 30 miles south of Thyatira that we just studied last time. An extremely prosperous city, very, very strong economy. And dating back to the year 2000 AD, 700 years before this letter was written, Sardis was one of the greatest cities in the world. Remember Aesop from Aesop's Fables? You know, um, the boy who cried wolf, tortoise and the hare, that Aesop. He lived here in Sardis. Again, a very wealthy and prosperous place. It was built on a 1,000-foot-high plateau and was very uh, defendable. Uh, the city was strong against attack because of its, uh, the plateau it was built on. And it was a major force against uh, Asian uh, invaders or European invaders. Um, the city was very self-confident. They thought they were impenetrable. They thought that they could not be overthrown. But the problem is that the city was built on a clay foundation, and over time, erosion took place, and that erosion took its toll. Thinking they were impregnable to attack, they stopped becoming watchful and were taken over two different times in the night while they were sleeping, first by the Persians in 549 BC, and then later by the Romans in 214 BC. They didn't learn from their earlier mistakes and failed to recognize that being watchful was the key to their defense, that they had a, an appearance of strength, but they were actually weak because their foundation was weak. And they, they, because they thought that they were uh, um, unable to be attacked, they lost their watchfulness and they were overthrown on two different occasions. They grew confident by their outward appearance but they were really weaker than they thought. That's the same message that Jesus talks about in his letter to the church at Sardis. When you read this letter, there's no specific statement, like in other letters, of right or wrong in the church, except that they have a reputation of being alive, but they're not. They're actually dead. 
The church, like the city, were not watchful in keeping themselves pure. As the city became susceptible to enemy attack, so also was the church susceptible to satanic influences that rendered the church useless and rendered, rendered the church impotent. The period of the church that it aligns with in, in our history as we look as a church being, uh, or these two letters being the uh, overlay of the church history would be from the Reformation to the present. That there were some positive results. Uh, the Reformation, uh, salvation by grace through faith, but some negative things that occurred as a result of the Reformation was it opened the door to denominations and to fragmentation. And now today we have, you know, literally, I, I don't know, ten, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of denominations that render the church of Jesus Christ very, very weak and very susceptible to infiltration. What would it be like if there were truly no denominations in Protestantism, but we all work together? We could be powerful, but instead we have kind of an every man for himself type of a church in today's world. That scripture says, I know your reputation. I know your reputation. You look good. You look strong, but you're not. You're really dead. Let's go through the scripture verse by verse. Let's look more carefully of what Jesus is saying to this church and how we can apply it to our churches and to our own lives today. Verse number one, chapter three, to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Remember, this message comes from Christ, and we see all the allusions in each letter from Revelation chapter 1. In this one, it's the seven spirits of God, which is reference to the Holy Spirit, found in Revelation 1.4. Why would, they, why would this name be used? Why would Jesus use this name? Because the church is in desperate need of a quickening of the Holy Spirit. We might call that revival today, that uh, if you need a, to be revived, it means you're almost dead. That when you put the person on, a, you know, on the gurney and you put the paddles on his chest and you try to revive them, it's because they're very close to breathing their last and you need to be revived. There's a need for real life in this church. Once vibrant, now very, very uh, empty of the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of that comes because of the dismemberment. A dismembered body is a gross picture. Body pieces all over the place. The church looks like that in the spirit realm today with, with just the fragmentation. On my street alone, the church that I pastor, on my street within one mile, there are 12 different churches. It's a shame that there can't be one body of Christ. There will be one day. One day all this denominationalism is going to be washed away. And it's going to be washed away, I think, by persecution. That the church is going to have to come together in order to survive the great onslaught of of satanic uh, uh, persecution in the last days. But there's a real need for life here, a real need to be baptized into one church by one spirit to be one body. The Holy Spirit is that life giver. Remember back in, uh, in the Old Testament, throughout scripture, the Holy Spirit is the breath, the pneuma of life. In Genesis 1 and 2, he, the life was breathed, the breath into man. In Ezekiel, the prophecy of the breath of God filling the valley of dry bones and raising them to life. 
In John 20, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, the breath of God came as a mighty rushing wind and filled the people with the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church occurred. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that God's word is, or the scripture is God breathed or inspired. God's breath is a life giver. And this church in Sardis needs the breath of the spirit in it again. It says he holds the seven stars. That's the entire church, seven, the number of completeness. It says he he holds the entire church in his hand, not just a fragment of the church, not just a piece or, or one denomination. I'm assemblies of God. It's not just the assemblies of God in his hand. It's the whole church in his hand. That the Lord desires to tear down the barriers and to unite his church, to bring people together again, to serve him in one accord. It says, I know your deeds, that there's an outward appearance like the city of Sardis. There's an outward sense of strength, but the inward reality is that you're dying and even almost dead. Reputation means nothing. In today's world, big mega churches doesn't matter. Big celebrity preachers and, and ministers doesn't matter. What matters is, is the church truly full of the Holy Spirit? Is the church truly functioning in the, uh, in the leading and the guiding of the Spirit and following the Word? Some of their works might have been impressive before men, but not before God. Jesus talked about being careful when all men speak well of you. You need to be careful of celebrity status. Be careful of everyone thinking, wow, what a wonderful, what a wonderful huge mega church, or what a wonderful uh, celebrity uh, minister. Be careful. There's a reputation, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's Christ honoring. And I'm not saying all mega churches are bad. I'm not saying all well-known preachers are bad. I'm just saying, be careful. Be watchful. The early enthusiasm of the church, that, that the struggle to remain pure, that was blessed and beautiful, but it can pass away into cold formalism. It can pass away into just a routine. Reputation is no guarantee of inward character. In verse two and three, Jesus says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found, not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. There were some in Sardis that were true believers. But they were discouraged and possibly about to give in to the lethargy of the dead church. And Jesus came to speak to them, saying, Wake up! One who is asleep is one who's apathetic, unconcerned, indifferent, unaffected. When you're asleep, there can be things going on around you and you're not aware. You don't care. You don't even notice because you're asleep. Sardis can relate to these words and that they were confident in their strength, but were overthrown twice at night while they were sleeping. Jesus in Matthew 26, 41 said, watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. Acts 20, 29 says, be on your guard against false teachers. Be alert, be awake. Romans 13 says, wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer than you first believed. 1 Corinthians 16 says, be on your guard so you won't fall into temptation. Ephesians 5 says, uh, 14 says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, meaning rise from your deeds of darkness. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, be clear-minded so you can pray. In other words, not intoxicated. 
Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Be alert because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. We need to be clear-minded today, not getting drunk on, on wine or alcohol, but being unaffected by anything that can intoxicate us, anything that can put us under the influence. There's an encouraging side to all of this because Jesus calls them to wake up. It is possible that their current condition can be different. If you can be awakened, that's a good sign. You haven't died yet. And Jesus is saying, wake up, be watchful again, be alert again, be on your guard again. However, the church, this church seems to be unaware of how serious their condition is. The word says, or Jesus says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. They're unaware that they are very near spiritual death. Just like Samson was was not aware that he had lost his strength. He was under the influence of lust and pride, and he didn't know that the spirit had left him. This church is similar, similar to that, that they don't realize that their strength has been drained. The church is unresponsive to what the Lord wants. He says, I found your works to be complete, or I have not found your works to be complete. They have done things, but they've done things out of obligation or done things out of routine. Remember what you have received, Jesus says. He calls them back to God's word. What is the truth of the word of God that you have received? Go back to that. Go back to where you started. Avoid the empty philosophies. Avoid the empty uh, cultural uh, infiltration into the church. Return to your first love like Ephesus. Go back to the beginning and arise to what was really true and really good. And then obey that. The word there, obey, is the present tense, uh, imperative tense, which means a continuous action, which means start obeying again. Be doers of the word, not merely hearers like uh, James says. John 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And it says repent. That's in the aorist tense, meaning a specific moment. Wake up, regain consciousness. You regain consciousness by repenting. You must change. We, the church, must change. We, as individuals, must change. And the call is to constant repentance, an attitude of keeping the relationship right with God every day, every moment, a constant transformation of attitude, behavior, and lifestyle. There are major changes, changes that some of us need. And like a sculpture, like a sculptor, we might take off the big, big chunks first, but then the fine little details need to be worked on to make the beautiful piece of art. We all need work all the time. Some of the big pieces need to come off, but some of the refining as well. Verse three, uh, at the end of that verse three, Jesus says, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Again, the reference to Jesus's coming as it was in the last letter and it will in the next two letters. Historically, this city was conquered at night and the people slept. Spiritually, while they sleep, they may be caught unaware when Jesus returns. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 5, 11 says, the thief comes at night when people are asleep or are intoxicated. Those that sleep are under the influence of sin. They're called people of darkness. Only the people of darkness will be surprised by the thief. You can't be surprised by someone when they're expecting you. Does a baby's arrival surprise you? No, you're expecting the baby. Does a wedding day surprise you? No, you're looking forward to it. As we look forward to Jesus' coming, we're not going to be surprised by his coming because we're not people of darkness. 
Only those in the darkness will be surprised. Noah wasn't surprised when the rain came. God promised him that. He prepared for it. Those who did not believe were surprised, tried to get into the ark, but it was too late. Sons of the light will be self-controlled and alert, watching for his coming. We are not of the night, so that we'll be caught when we're asleep. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But instead, he'll say, Depart from me. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. People of darkness don't really know God, even if they say they do. And God knows. He knows the heart of everybody. Verse 4 to 6, it says, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. There's a remnant. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will like be like he who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. And I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As in Sodom, even, there was a remnant. As in Israel, there was a remnant. In Sardis, there's a remnant. Jesus encourages this small band of believers who have remained awake. It says, it says there's an assurance of their moral purity. That what, we, what they have not done is they have not soiled their clothes. They've kept pure. They've been found worthy. Being found worthy means having the weight of something. They've been found valuable, worthy, pure. They've walked in a way that is right before the Lord. And there's a promise. That promise is that they're going to walk with Jesus in white robes. In other words, they're going to be intimate with him. Having been washed in the blood of the Lamb... Their righteousness is the righteousness of Christ, and they can then walk with Jesus, righteousness with righteousness. It says their names are written in the book of life. They have security. Their names are never going to be erased. This book of life is mentioned, yes, seven times in the book of the Revelation. And here again, this book of life, names written in. I'm so glad my name's written in it. I sure hope your name's written in it. And when we stay alert and awake, that name will never be removed. Revelation 20.15 says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. Praise God, my name's written. Hope yours is too. And Jesus will confess this person's name before the Father. I will confess you. I will remember your name before the Father. Jesus will one day stand, and when your name is written, Jesus will say, Yes, I know that name. I know that person. They belong to me. He's mine. And Jesus will stand and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Unbelievers will stand also before Jesus and they'll hear the horrifying words, I don't know you. Does Jesus know you today? Does he know your name? I hope he does. It's as easy as confessing him as your Lord and Savior. And when you do that, he'll write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. But on a church level, does he know the church of today? We must arouse one another, cause each other to wake up by living purely, by living righteously, by not being judgmental of other denominations, but instead building unity, as Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17 and in Ephesians chapter 4. The goal of the church is to be unified. Jesus prayed to unify all of us. We must be watchful. We must be aware and be alert. 
So today, the, the words are, like last time it was hold fast. Today, it's wake up. Wake up today. Repent today. Obey continually today. Be aware. In today's day and age, the coming is quicker than ever before. So you read the newspapers and see the, uh, what's, what's coming across online and just the movement of culture, how fast, how fast the world is running away from the truths of Jesus Christ. We have to wake up, see what's happening in our world, and make sure that we hold on, that we repent and that we live in obedience every day. I hope you will. I hope we can stir our churches to do the same thing. Let's hold or let's wake up, individual, so that we won't be judged as almost dead like the church at Sardis. Next time we look at the church of Philadelphia, and then one more church, and then we get to the throne room in chapter four. Hope you'll join me for that. This is Pastor Greg at Life 66. God bless you.